been driving me crazy. Love Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a bird, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge, get a fresh new start. Day Network will bring you there. So let's talk about it when life and on the air. This is going to be a blockbuster. Trust me. Deb Pines is here. Not only does she write for the New York Post, and she's going to tell us about it because somebody told me to tell her, to ask her about it. <laughs> <laughs> For real, I got a whole bunch of people that said, don't forget, and plus the fact that I printed out an interview that you did. I'm really getting good today. Um, evil for evil is so good. But what I love, I love Mimi, but I really love Sylvia. Sorry, she's my favorite. <laughs> she's my favorite. You know what I love about thank it? Thank you for that? hosting me, Fran. I'm always honored to be a guest on your show, and you do so much for authors, especially mystery authors that we all owe you a big debt. So thanks for having me. And what what were you going to say about Sylvia? Sylvia is cool. And, of course, you know, Emily, well, Dinah died, and, oh, well, too bad. You can't have everything, you know. So (laughs) you you created um, a history of your town and Mimi. But what sets the novel going in Chapter 1 and, you know, I've never belonged to a book club. They've asked me to, but you know what? This is my book club, people. So tell us about the book club and me, Mimi. Okay. Well, and people uh, listening. my books, you know, are all set in Chautauqua, New York, and the Chautauqua Institution. I'll talk about that later. But the book club is just to have a um, – there was a meeting of a classic book club and the book club would discuss, this book club um, was discussing Pride and Prejudice. And Mimi, the sleuth, is wanting to get out a little more, and she joined the book club. But, of course, uh, at her first meeting, um, there's a discussion, and the host's young, young uh, daughter-in-law retired early during the meeting. The meeting went on, and at the end of the meeting, the host, Harriet Steiner said to Mimi, oh, my goodness, I had promised my daughter-in-law that you guys would get to meet each other. Her daughter-in-law is a podcaster, a true crime podcaster, and Mimi is the um, Chautauqua's Miss Marple. She's an amateur sleuth. The mother-in-law, you know, said, if you wouldn't, uh, if, would you do me a favor and go introduce yourself? My daughter-in-law is upstairs. She's either napping because she had a big night the previous night, or she's working on a breakthrough in one of her cases. Maybe she's on her computer. Go up there and and help me get get me out of her doghouse because I had promised to introduce you guys. So Mimi goes upstairs, partly out of gratitude to Harriet Diener for being such a good host and you know wanting to do her a favor since she had been so generous, you know, hosting the book club. But Mimi also wants to meet the young woman who has this podcast uh, that focuses on cold cases um, in western New York. 
And so Mimi knocks on the door. She uh, thinks, okay, maybe I shouldn't bother her, but ah, I'm on a mission. Harriet sent me up here, and I want to meet her. So she goes inside, and, of course, she finds Emmy dead, which launches the whole book um, and the whodunit of how could she have died, a young, healthy person excited about a breakthrough in her podcast. And, uh, and if, she was, if it's foul play, who would have killed her? And that's how it all launches. Well, I couldn't put a book on after that because I had to know. Okay. Thank and you, I, and I had every faith in Mimi to not let me down, but sorry, people, it's Sylvia. You've got, you got to meet Sylvia. <laughs> okay. Well, Sylvia <laughs> so, is uh, Mimi's sidekick. She's in her 90s. I love her. <laughs> yes, and a lot of people lo- like her. Um, I wasn't sure how many books I'd write in this series, so when I first introduced Sylvia, she was in her 90s, and she and and each year aging with each book, and she was still driving, and people would write me as if Sylvia is a real person and say she shouldn't be driving, <laughs> and so um, I decided to freeze her age and make her 90 in all the books, so she can continue to drive and she can continue to plausibly help Mimi solve these crimes. Well, to be very honest, there's some people that are 25 and 30 that should stop driving unless they can take them. <laughs> Seriously, right. it's scary. Right. So tell us about her podcast and why were some for her and some not. But, you know, in everything, people listen to my show, and if they like it, fun. If they don't, what can I say? I try. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I know you have a lot of fans out there. So Fran, I hope so. <laughs> uh, this la- the young woman was a very earnest, idealistic person, and she took it on herself to try and reopen old cases, old murder cases that had never been solved in her area, and she called it uh, Murders in Our Backyard. And she became particularly interested in one case from 1996 when a young woman uh, in college uh, disappeared after a a party in a dorm. And it's not an unfamiliar type of story, but the young woman uh, was uh, walked home kind of wobbly drunk from a party by by a boy. I'll call them boys. I guess they're men. This, another student walked her home, and she was last seen it, um, being walked home, walked to her dorm by an, a boy. And mm. someone else thought that they saw a woman in red getting into a car late at night after that. So for all the years the case was unsolved of what became of Emmy, of uh, Esposito, uh, the, um, there really seemed to be two main suspects, but no one was ever charged. So it's like a 20-some-year-old case. And her, uh, Emmy Diener, the podcaster, started digging around um, looking for 
looking try, to try to reopen it, and her focus really was on the two men who possibly saw her last. One was a fellow student, and the other was, at the time, a campus police officer, and he became, went on to be a a Jamestown, a local cop. So when she's reopening the case and people are weighing in, you know, online, local people, a lot of people think it's the police officer, and that's and they think that's why the case has gone unsolved for all these years, maybe mm. police protecting police, you know. And so that's one element here is, was Emmy Deaner killed at the book club because she was perceived to be a threat to someone from an old case, someone who feared she was about to expose them as guilty in a prior murder case, or was she killed because of something more current, maybe a man she rejected, maybe a relative who's envious of her, maybe some issue at work. So is it the old stuff that she was, you know, unearthing that was a threat, or was it something more current? So that's like kind of the who done it, and a lot of people could have done it. <laughs> well, you know what I um, love about Mimi? She's yeah. like me. If if I okay. see something and I want to know something, I don't care who's telling me not to do it, I'm going to do it. So Mimi goes to the crime scene, right? And she yes. actually, well, who's supposed to handle it? And she actually does a little <clears throat> investigating on her own. And with the help of Sylvia, whoa. So how does she get away with this? Because that's so cool. Because in real life, she might get yelled at, but who knows? Yes. Well, I think she does get a lot of people angry at her. And in a number that's of good. books, book number 10 in a series, um, a lot of people are telling her to back off, mind your own business, like they might tell you, Fran, right? And uh, they, uh, in some cases, people even threaten her. In this case, uh when Mimi starts pursuing the issue of was it the cop, she goes to the cop's house and starts snooping around, and the cop's sister shows up with a gun and points it at her, at Mimi, and says, what are you, and Mimi says, what are you doing here? She's surprised to see the sister, and the sister says, are you nuts? What are you doing here? You're poking around in my brother's house. You know, get out of here. Uh, so she is faces threats and obstacles, and like you know many mystery heroes, uh, she's more relentless than most people, unless you count Fran. But uh, uh-huh. <laughs> she, uh, you know, she just is determined to get to the bottom of it, and um, it seems early on the police are so convinced that Emmy Deaner might have been a drug addict and may have mm-hmm. killed her, you know, killed herself by accident or an, or an unintentional overdose, that they really don't seem to 
jump in as quickly as Mimi and Sylvia think they should. So Mimi, first of all, jumps in because she thinks the police are doing such a half-assed job with it and um, that they may be missing the moment. You know, that if if they dawdle so much, you know, they're going to have a harder time solving it. So Mimi at first gets in because she, you know, wants to do the job of the local police who seem to be lazy or just not suspicious enough. And then later um, she's just got her, you know, she's hooked. She really doesn't want to let it go and she wants to, you know, be sure that justice is justice is served. Okay. And I'm trying to figure yeah. out um well she she decides to do this because the town wants her to. Um as time goes on, you know, it seems initially in the first few books, uh Mimi would just take uh, matters in her own hand, mainly out of, you know, her own initiative. But now that people see how good she is at this, uh, they seek her help. So when the police seem um, not, you know, active enough for Harriet Diener, the mother-in-law, and the police seem to, you know, be suggesting don't even seem to understand that that the dead woman was very law and order, that she was no way a drug addict. When they pursue the angle, you know, that maybe she killed herself, Harriet is pretty outraged, and she um, wants, you know, wants Mimi's help. And so she asks if she could come and start poking around and do what she does so well, which is, you know, follow the clues methodically, mm. you know, to other clues and figure out who done it. So how do they manage so, yeah, to find out the cause of death so help. fast? What? How do they it's manage to learn the cause? Yeah, yeah, it's really weird. It's a really little weird. fictional. I know it's a little fictional. Um, so give me some poetic license, but it is it is still about a week, I think, or three days or four days. Um, when the first responders show up, they mm. find some things that make them suspicious. And they find what looks like an injection site in the victim's arm. And they find what looks like a lid to a drug vial under the bed. And she is, the victim is sweaty. That, that's, uh, and that's unbelievable. She, and they think it's a drug uh, file. You know, but eyes. There's so many the people that are wrongly accused of drugs and all sorts of stuff. So yes. why did they link her to the murder? And tell us about the tell us about the book club members and who Mimi suspected. I mean, this is hilarious. And half of them, do they yes. read the book or do they just join? Uh, <laughs> I think that it's a pretty conscientious group. Um, it's one of those, like, I think I might have told you this before, but one of the nicest things anybody ever said about the book is they called it an Agatha Christie for the text yes. message age. And since then, I've tried to make it a little more Agatha Christie-like. So I have a set a gathering of people 
in this cottage, and they're all there for the book club. And, yeah, someone might have snuck in and killed Emmy, but that's unlikely. No one saw it. So it's probably someone in the book club. And then mm. as you dig deeper into the book club, you find mm. that more of these people have secrets. And um, maybe the secrets mean they killed Emmy Deaner, or maybe they're just other things they're hiding. So the members include a guy who's in the Chautauqua Symphony who plays the clarinet and is very socially awkward, and his wife, who's a nurse. So uh, the two of them, you know, are somewhat suspicious, Janine and David, because he leaves the book club early. And also he's just socially awkward. And so they, and they're, they're two possible suspects. She's a nurse. Other suspects include the college professor who's very haughty, um, who, who runs the, le- the, the discussion group. He's like the moderator. And, um, he has a secret that you don't learn till later, but he's, um, He's the moderator of the discussion, and let's see, other people at the book club include um, a uh, best friend of Emmy's from childhood, Kayla, who's very Mm. anti-police, and she believes um, that the Jamestown cop killed the girl way back when in 1996 and is covering that up and so might want to have silence. Uh, Anyway, so Kayla is her friend, her childhood friend. She's at the book club. Um, There's also a really um, holier-than-now minister who is at the book club, and his beautiful younger wife, she's at the book club, and two pretty elderly people who Mimi kind of um, eliminates pretty early because the murder happened up in uh, Emmy's room, so you would have had to have gone upstairs to have killed her, and uh, they would have had trouble navigating the stairs, Mimi thinks. There's also a cleaning person at the event, and here's somebody I forgot to say, which is um, the uh, the son of Harriet Diener, Emmy's brother-in-law, is at the event too, and I'll say he's diabetic, and uh, he is also envious of Emmy because Harriet, the mother-in-law is so wowed by Emmy and Emmy's podcast and it's almost like Emmy can do no wrong with her mother-in-law. So as as it plays out, a lot of those people at the book club well, went upstairs to use the bathroom because the downstairs bathroom mm. was closed uh, for repairs. So a lot of the book club members went up and down in the course of the meeting. And uh, a lot, a few of them have have secrets that they're hiding, um, and a few of them have reasons to uh, dislike Emmy Deaner. 
and it turns out to be one of them, <laughs> I should say. Um, I'm trying to make a twist, more of a twist ending after the Agatha Christie comparison, so mm. that's what I've been trying with the last few books. But it does, uh, maybe I'm giving something away to say it was somebody mm. at the book club, even though you possibly would know that that's what I'm setting up here. And um, I'm not tell who yeah, it was. So it's somebody at the book club. <laughs> well, somebody that want, doesn't obviously like what she did, and who cares? Yes. But okay, right. who was this? Who is this Angela? And why are you so horrible about the cop? Yeah, the cop is horrible, and I, and I hope is. Mimi creams him because she deserves yes. to be creamed. So the cop was someone who was dating a college girl even though he was married way back then in 1996. And he went on to, you know, after being a campus cop, uh, to being a Jamestown cop. And he's he's been dogged his whole career by people thinking he killed Emmy Diener. I'm not Emmy Diener. I'm sorry, Esposito in uh, in 1996. But he had a, a, he's a Jamestown cop. He has some tumult in his current marriage, so he was recently suspended for domestic violence accusations. And all this makes you think that he would be a possible killer of both the Mm. girl back in 1996 and Emmy Diener, the podcaster. Because so many people who follow the true crime stuff want to get involved and play amateur detective. Uh, they've been hounding this Jamestown cop for years, going through his trash, looking for evidence, um, writing online that they know he did it, that he killed the girl in 1996. So when Emmy Diener turns up dead and more chat online says, oh, my God, now he's killed another woman um, to silence her because she was on the verge of solving this old case, uh, he goes and makes a video online telling these podcast fans who they're called Yardies because her her podcast is called Murder in Our Backyard. Mm. Uh, he goes online and says, leave me alone. I had nothing to do with either of these cases. And he calls them names, you know, you're vultures and vermin. Go get a life. You know, don't bother me. And he uh, films this and puts it online. And for a while, Mimi also thinks he did it. Um, And maybe he did, because a lot of my readers seem to think he did um, over the course. And I'm not going to say whether he did or didn't, because he's a very good bad guy, you know, that he might have done it. He's foul-mouthed, and so is his sister. He, uh, like I said, was suspended for domestic violence stuff. And he, you know, is loses his cool talking to people on the, you know, on the video. So anyway, he's a, he's a key suspect. And the fact that his sister was at the book club meeting working, mm. you know, for Harriet Diener as the cleaning person... Uh, makes you think maybe together they could have done it. Um, well, yeah, you so know, the way I you just try to kick up a lot of dust. Two, 
the way you treated yeah. the true crime, and I've been dealing with, I watch true crime every day. Mm. This is true. And yes. I watch uh, Dateline. Dateline I'm covered, but my, my favorite is uh, Murder in New York City and a okay. few others. I'm getting really good at yes. this. And, of course, my oh, husband good. got me hard of Evil Lives Here, uh, The Killer's uh-huh. Family. And I could probably write one on my own, but I haven't decided which one of the people I was telling you about before needs to be eliminated. You never know. Okay. <laughs> yes. Why did Tinsdale and with Mimi and Sylvia give them information? And who was Vince? And okay. So, you know, there's like a thought that, um, like I said, was, was Emmy Dieter killed? Because of because uh, she was hot on the portrayal of exposing someone from an old case, from a cold case, from the you know way back when that was never solved, and someone thought they got away with it, and oh my God, she's about to expose them. Was that why she was killed, or was there something else, you mm. know, more current? And so the more current is she can't make a living as a podcaster; it's her passion. And so she has a day job, and her day job is masseuse. And she does it, you know, with private clients, and she does it or did it with, you know, some people she got through the gym that's connected to Chautauqua. And so um, at the gym, it turns out shortly before her death, she got into a dispute with this guy, Roncalli, who um, was touching her inappropriately during a massage session. And she complained Mm. about him, and he said, oh, he had said to the staff, you know, it was a misunderstanding, she's all wrong, and uh, he was banned from, I think, from massages at the gym or maybe using the gym. And um, so his name came up as like, oh, maybe he would have killed her uh, in a fury about being accused of, you know, being too handy with her during the massage session. And maybe he's a hothead, and it turns out he is a hothead. But um, so that's just like tossing one other potential killer in the mix. Someone at the house, maybe this guy who just got a feud with her, you know, if he got into another argument with her, maybe um, someone from the past, you know, threatened by her work. That's and, really you know, yeah, yeah. I wonder how many masseuses really do face a bunch of that, people assuming that yeah. what, they can touch them however they want. And she was a beauty, I should say. The dead girl was... A, a, quite a beautiful lady. Um, so you think maybe there would be men who would feel rejected by her. Well, if you watch the news yesterday, it was really, and this morning it was really sad. There was a, a man, he must have been in his late 30s, 25 uh-huh. years ago, and he was wrongly accused of doing something to a young girl. And he got oh, yeah. 25 years to life until the right. Innocent Project, a couple of days ago, got him free. Yeah. Yes. I was like, it, those, oh, there's so much of that. It's so scary. Yeah. This, those cases of the wrongly, you know, wrongly convicted yeah. 
they're just so tragic. Um, yeah, I mean, should I go on a story of, I watched as a young reporter, I mm. used to be a reporter for the Gannett newspapers in Westchester County in White Plains, mm. and I watched a murder case where a guy was convicted, um, Jeffrey Deskovic, of killing a classmate in uh, in Peekskill High School, and mm-hmm. he was uh, the girl was raped in the woods and killed, and he was an odd kid who seemed in- interested beyond what's normal, you know, just sort of obsessive mm. a little bit with the case and maybe he had a crush on the girl. He was 16, and um, the police coerced a confession from him. Mm-hmm. You know how they say, we won't call your parents and tell us what we, after hours of tell us what we want to hear, we'll let you go, you know, and that kind of thing. And so he ended up um, confessing to something he didn't do. He mm-hmm. was a, a vulnerable kid. And the tri- I, I used to cover the courts, and he was convicted easily. And it turns out when DNA evidence, um, you know, was more reliable and became um, <clears throat> became accepted scientifically or whatever, he it, it it wasn't him. It was some. It was a convicted rapist, an, an adult, and this young That's man sad. went to prison at 16 and served something like 20 years. And when I watched it in court. I had no, I didn't have any reason to doubt that he did it because I didn't realize people could be manipulated to confess oh, yeah. to something they didn't do. And he yeah. um, went on to be a lawyer after he came out of school, out of prison. He got a settlement, um, which he can't make up for all the years of his life that he lost. And uh, he went to law school, and now he's working to help exonerate um, innocent people. I interviewed so, somebody uh, like that. I interviewed somebody like that in January. Yes. Yeah. Isaac Isaac Wright Jr. was convicted mm. of being a drug boss because he was in the car at the wrong time. And he told the yeah. story. And I don't know if anybody else had the honor, but they gave me the honor of interviewing him when the book came out. And I could not wow. believe. He taught me a lot about criminal defense, too. And I was yeah. sitting there like, oh, my God, you spent time from 19, age 19 or 20, to age 60-something, whatever. He became a criminal yes. defense attorney. When I understand, he's one of the number one criminal defense attorneys in the world. And wow. It, it's, and he was wrongly accused, but he got himself free because he went to law school in prison. So he okay. did it all by himself. So, wow. how does she solve Jenny's murder, and what role does Hardwell, Hardwell play in helping to solve the murders? Well, maybe they don't solve it. I'm not going to tell you. Uh, okay. Well, um, Hardwell was the old cold case detective. He's retired. And mm-hmm. Emmy, the podcaster, always would say on her show, you know, if you have any leads, I think there might be people out there who know more about this case than you've said. You know, um, now's the time. I mean, it's 30 years later or something, and 
Um, the dead girl's parents have died without ever knowing what became of her. Uh, her sister says it devastated the whole family. And so Hardwell is a good guy. He's the retired cop who was bothered all his career by these unsolved murder cases. And he's co- he cooperated with Emmy um, when she, with her podcast. And they, she said, either call me if you were afraid to call the police or have some reason not to call the police or call this old retired detective who still wants to solve the case or call the current county sheriff's department. Um, so it, it turns out, you know, I won't say if it's solved, but Emmy had at least gotten her hopes up that she was mm. on the verge of solving this, just um, re- reopening the case, talking about it, she people did call her, and people told her what they remembered from way back when, and uh, she also, you know, took the time to like re-examine all the evidence that maybe the sheriff's department had one piece of it, and maybe the DA's office had another piece, and the family had a civil case. Maybe their lawyers turned up some stuff, and so she by being sort of like the central person re-looking at all this old stuff, she starts to see some patterns and have some um, thoughts about who killed the, you know, and who who did the old case. And, uh, you know, at least she thought she things were coming together, and maybe they were. That's scary. That is yeah. really scary. But there so why does she cases of podcasters can, who have solved yeah. cases? Yeah, by just reopening it, and like you say, with new technology, you know, the DNA yeah. and stuff. Um, That's how they got the guy to, free today. Yeah, looked at today. Um, some of these old cases could be solved by someone passionate trying to put a spotlight on it. You know. It's so, scary. Yeah, I know. I read The Innocent Project. It was the book. Uh-huh. And then there's another author that just wrote one about The Innocent Project that I'm going to be interviewing next week. And, um, okay. It's, it's, it's scary. But before I forget, the yes. rest of this month, besides starting off with Deb, that's blockbuster, people, wait till okay. Tuesday, Boyd and Elizabeth Morrison, The Last True Templar. The 15th, and I never do Fridays. I just read the calendar wrong, but I won't go back to John Lansing, 25 to life. And here, this was, this is the shocker, but not really. Spy Coast, Tess Gerenson takes the spotlight on the 20th. Eleanor Cruz on the 21st. And Minister Sam Oliver, we're going to talk about hospice care on the 28th. And that's just September. October, really, Adam Sykes is... um, the, the author of Second Term is Coming from Oceanville. God bless Oceanville. They keep me so busy, whatever. Wow. Because the post office, is, post office isn't bringing my books. How rude is that? What can I uh-huh. say? So on Chapter 43, she pieces it all together. But what true okay. crimes, you, you did a lot of research on true crime. And if anybody looks at um, Facebook, they'll know that Charles Salzberg does a lot of uh, things on true crime. He writes a lot about different true crime stories. Right. I like when he puts, like, what's today's crime or something. Uh Yeah, that's interesting. 
Yes, he's so, he's very special. Yeah, he is. He tried to save me, but what can I do? So okay. if I, everybody watches True Crime, and the police, yes. I watched one the other day, and I'm saying, God, these the young guy walks in, and I knew he did it. I knew he did right. it, and yet he kept saying whatever. And then there's a time when they really don't do it, and they say to him, well, if you tell us, we'll go easy on you. No, they won't. You're going to get 25 to life anyway. So yeah. what, is, what is this thing for? Why do they have to lie? Why do they have to use such abuse and such physical force in order to get Conventional. Maybe they should ask me how to ask questions. Seriously. Yes, yes, yes. Um, you know, I think that uh, in the old days, you know, mm-hmm. um, police were often, you know, if if you gave them the benefit of the doubt, they were often convinced that uh, this guy did it, and they're just going to use whatever tactics to get them to confess. Or they, if you think they're the bad guys. Um, you know, they're just trying to close a case and solve it. doesn't matter who they pin it on. I actually think in the case of the teenager that I watched, they did believe they got the right guy, but they cut corners, and in doing that, uh, they got the wrong guy, you know, and, and ruined mm. another life. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think mixed motive, you know, of the police. Um, but but if you if they don't follow, you know, procedure, they might off you know, they might get the the wrong person. And I think the police are more aware today uh that vulnerable people, people you know, teenagers, um, low IQ, you know, defendants can be more manipulated and you shouldn't be allowed to, you know, manipulate them that way. And they have to be sure they're not questioned for hours, like torture, you know, and that they get some sleep and they get food. And, yeah, so I think there's restrictions, not that everybody follows it everywhere, but, you know, that's the aim. Um, As far as true crime, I'll talk a little on that, and that is, you know, my murder mysteries are set in this uh, in this place. It's, it really exists. Some people write me and go, did you make that up? No. There really is a place called Chautauqua, New York. And mm-hmm. it is, you know, I call it a, it began in 1874 with a two-week, as a two-week tent retreat for Methodist Sunday school teachers. So they would go out to the wilderness and recharge and learn to, you know, do better Sunday school teaching. And then that spot evolved um, after just being for Sunday school teachers to have what's now a nine-week season of lectures, concerts, church services, recreational stuff because it's on a lake, like boating and day camp for kids, and I say uh, it's evolved to this, and now that I'm writing my murder mysteries, one fictional murder a year. And so um, each week has a different theme for the lectures. So, I mean, it might be, you know, comedy week, what, what's so funny, you know, or it might be Turkey, why it's such an important country spanning, you know, uh, the East and West, or why um, women's, you know, it, uh, 
I don't know, uh, you know, it could be a different subject, friends, why friends are important. So I make each year recently in the book a fictional lecture series that sort of relates something to my story and that also plausibly could have been a series in Chautauqua, you know, which during its nine-week season. And so this book, the, the lecture series is about true crime because the podcaster, you know, is a true crime podcaster, and I just wanted to give some context about, like, how wildly popular the genre is right now. Not just you, Fran, but everybody, you know, it's really very popular, and it seems, Not you me. know, so some <laughs> of the lectures, yeah, go ahead. Some of, no, some I, of the I lectures, just, you know what, somebody, huh. somebody, somebody said, Somebody emailed me this morning, just to say yes. popular. This, and I, you know, something you have to be careful because some of these sites. I must have gotten at least fifty people in the last month that said we would like to, you know, give you pop, uh, pub. We will teach you how to publish a book, and I just don't even answer it. Uh-huh. That's hilarious, right, especially right, when right. they know that I have a book. But the best one was right. this morning. I got. I won't tell you who. They said that we would like you to join this blank team. We're going to give you a badge because you're wonderful. You're an influencer, and we love you. Yes. And I'm saying, okay. who the, who are you? And yes. I looked, at, looked up whatever, and they said, basically, you have to join and then do um, podcast. Not podcast. You have to let people ask you questions, and you have to watch videos. And I didn't even answer it because uh, okay. at the end, they want you somebody to do free said, work. Yes, at the end they said, um, one guy said, yeah, well, they're supposed to be getting you more money on Amazon. I got $5 after three years, and I'm wondering how much of a percentage they got. And I didn't bother to even answer. Forget it. Uh-huh. So you got to be yeah, got to be really careful. So let's get to the good yes. stuff here. Okay. Because Dick Belsky told me to ask you about your headlines. So I picked up, <laughs> and the article says, um, Jungle Red Riders have headlines to die for. So how did you come up with um, the cap- your Captain Freaking? Um, it's a, okay. it from Captain Kirk. And then there's a whole bunch. Oh, is your, this is your Captain Freaking. And then there's okay. another one. This is hilarious. Freaking Flyer. How do you come up yes. with your headlines and stories? Oh, because this is like thanks. I read this whole thing. It was hilarious. Thank you. And I And that's even kind of old, so I have a few more recent ones. But oh, I'm, my day job, which I do at night, is I'm on the copy desk of the New York Post, which means I edit a lot of the stories, not the sports and not features, mm. but new stories. And then um, as it, and I, I put headlines on the inside stories that are assigned to me, but the front page ones that you're focused on and a lot of people know the New York Post for, uh, mm. The front page headlines are um, everyone contributes to that. Although my team, the copy desk, often ends up writing the front page, and our aim is, you know, to give some information, but all, more importantly, to entertain. <laughs> um, so, I people say we walk a fine line between humor and bad taste, <laughs> and so the captain freaking. Uh, there was a pilot, a JetBlue pilot, and he was having a mental breakdown mid-flight. Mm-hmm. The co-pilot was so scared by his ranting and raving 
that he locked him out of the cockpit. And the pilot, you know, kept walking up and down the aisle saying, we're going down, Al-Qaeda. And, you know, he's starting to scare the passengers. Mm-hmm. And they restrained him in a seat with, like, those seat belts across him and sent us at the New York Post a picture of the captain oh, restrained in his seat. And the reason why I say it's walks the fine line. I saw that. I see it. Because it's kind of sad, but it also is our role to just make light of it. So the uh, the picture, the bosses say this is going to be the front page, and they tell us the circumstances, and they say, mm-hmm. does anybody have any ideas for it? And people come up with lots of ideas, and I propose this is your captain freaking. <laughs> well, like, I have the picture in front of me. Speaking. Like, this is your captain speaking. So I have three headlines that are my most famous, and that's one of them. And that headline was once on Jeopardy as a clue. It said, um, yeah, it said something like this publication once said about a JetBlue pilot, this is, you know, or something like that. And nobody knew the answer that it was the New York Post. All I, all I know is that um, this this was interesting because I watch a program where they they uh, pilots and the planes blow up. Well, they do yeah. investigations as to why the planes blow up. I said that yeah. the, the scariest thing was the one I watched. That my husband guess he watches. Um, that's why I don't go on planes because yes. it's too scary. Um, the pilot had a new girl that never flew and never did the co-pilot seat. And what happened yeah. was. The plane, everybody died on the plane because the pilot was smoking and drinking coffee. He had a cigarette. Yeah, he had a cigarette. She didn't see it. She tried to stop him. He lost control of the plane. And then he didn't get the right um, information from the the control office. Yeah. And and the whole plane went down and it just blew up. And it just shows how they try to, you know, the black box and everything. I said, yes. that could happen. I mean, yesterday huh. United Airlines had something where they had um, equipment damage and equipment problems, and they knew enough, yes. thank God, to, to not let the planes take off, and the ones that landed couldn't go anywhere. I saw so that, it, that there were, yeah. Yeah, that's everything scary. Everything was right. All right, I'll give you two more and headlines, I'm glad you don't Fran. write about plane crashes <laughs> in your mysteries. Otherwise, Mimi would have to go on a plane and and decide. That's true. Okay, so one time there was going to be a blizzard in New York City, or supposedly Mm -hmm. there was. The weather forecast said blizzard, and the mayor said, everybody who's non-essential, stay home, and Mm -hmm. I'm closing the schools and closing the roads. And then he woke up in the morning, and there was no blizzard. You know, (laughs) it passed us. And so my headline was, Flake news. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> like fake news, but a snowflake news. So, and then here's my last one, which takes a little explaining. But um, Jeff Bezos, you know, the head of mm-hmm. Amazon. Oh, yeah. Do you remember when he was in a feud with the National Enquirer? Um, and it was Bezos had sent pictures, like, below the belt naked pictures to his girlfriend sexting her, the one who's now his wife. 
And the National Enquirer got a hold of those pictures and threatened, supposedly was blackmailing Bezos um, uh, with the pictures that Bezos had made himself, right? And the head of the National Enquirer is named Andrew Pecker. Okay. So anyway, Bezos decides to tell the world about what's happening, claiming that he's the victim. And so he wrote, I remember blackmailed by the National Enquirer. And I wrote, Bezos exposes Pecker. Okay. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. Oh right. my God! <laughs> so that was, and and they Saturday Night Live put that on TV, making fun of the dispute. Oh God! You know, and just showed the headlines to be funny. So I, I just wonder what would happen if you actually put something like that, and Mimi had to deal with somebody that was you know famous like. You know, owns Amazon or owns Google yes. or something like that. Or, or the guy that right. just took over um, Twitter, which is now called X. And you know what's yes. really scary is that every time I put a post out on um, yes. LinkedIn or something, the guy yes. from X, from Twitter, whatever it is, says, yes. Fran Lewis posted something about this. Fran Lewis says, I didn't know it was that popular. Oh. Which is, well, yeah. Oh. Which is, yeah, and I got something yesterday, and I didn't answer it, from somebody. You're an influencer. We would like to connect with you. Would you like yeah. a PDF of the book? And I go, no, I wouldn't. I would like a print copy. Well, forget it. Yeah, I mean, right. I mean, everybody doesn't understand. I will not read. I have to have the book to destroy it. Yeah. And you don't Do want you to read. Well, yours isn't too kid. bad. Do you ever read on a Kindle, Fran, or you read No, I can't. All just, okay. I can't. Yeah. I I can't because my um, eyes bother me. I get eye strain because I read like yeah. yesterday. I read a book by Mike Paul called Missing. I've never read him uh-huh. before. Somebody told him. Somebody sent him to me, and the book is yes. interesting. It's a nice murder mystery. Yeah. But I I okay. had done um, some reviews for a, for a book company that only did online, and okay. they got me really annoyed because they wanted like two a day. And books are like oh, three, four hundred pages, yeah. yeah. And after I did like two, three or four, I said, I can't do this anymore. I couldn't even see straight. And I just told yeah. them to forget it. They were upset. But you know what? How many books do you read, Fran? You don't want to know. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I do. Yeah. It depends on whether my eyes bother me or not. Yeah, for the other yeah. reasons. Um, I could read ten a week if I wow. really wanted to. Yeah. I read um, his yesterday. And I started another one yesterday, and last week I think I read six. And I just, wow. you know, if my eyes bother me, I take my time. Mm. But some books mm-hmm. are longer than others and shorter yeah. than others. I think one of the best books I read, and I don't know if people would agree with me, is the Brooklyn Crime Novel okay. by Jonathan Latham. Oh, my God. He writes a true story about his life growing up in Brooklyn, and it wasn't happy. Yeah. And all the things that happened with gangs and stuff. And I sat there and I read this, and I'm disappointed because I was hoping that he would want to do an interview with me because I'm curious to know. Yeah. You no, know, he didn't write too many positive things about Brooklyn. That's where my father grew up. Yeah. And 
Yeah, they and had I was and stuff born in Brooklyn, yeah. stayed there till age six, but Mimi stayed the whole time, my character. So she's from Brooklyn. But yeah, Jonathan Leatham is one of the greatest. Um, his books are really superior. Yeah. Well, they asked me to, they, they just sent it. And the other book, wow. for anyone that's going through, my neighbors just went through it, anyone that's knowing through um, cancer or a child going yeah. through leukemia, Talking with yeah. Angel is probably one of the most, and I'm glad you don't put that in this either, one of the most heartfelt yeah. books I've ever read. Angel is a doll that talks this little uh-huh. girl through what's going to happen in her life, and she meets this boy, Jonathan. It's very sad, right. but it's very... Inspiring. Well done. So yeah. yeah, I mean, this, this is what this is what they sent me. I mean, a lot of wow. times to you be get very a mix honest, of things. The post office yeah. hasn't been bringing enough. So people, if your book is out on Amazon, that'll get it there. I can't promise. Okay. Two publicists this week said to me, "Did you read the book?" I go, "What are you talking about?" So before huh. we end, where can everybody yes. get a lot of Mimi? And are you ever going to write about a different character, or we're we just going to stick with what we know? I think I'm going to stick with Mimi for a bit more. I'm starting oh, to goody. get a little bit of a following, a little. Um, but you can buy the book on any, if you read an e-book, it's everywhere, you know, on any of the sites, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, Apple, you know, and it's a print book available at Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and two local bookstores in Chautauqua, in the Chautauqua County, New York, and one is the Chautauqua Institution Bookstore, and the other is called Good Neighbor Books in Mm -hmm. Lakewood, New York. Um, But you can buy it anywhere online, and uh, you can look for me on my website, getpines.com, and uh, look for me in the New York Post, writing my headlines. So well, you know what? Trend. I have to check the. I have to check to see if they have the New York Post up here. These people are very young. Okay. New York Times. New York Times. Yeah. So maybe you can send me one. I I got I, so excited, okay. and I said it to somebody. I'm interviewing somebody from the New York Post. They go, really? Go really? Seriously? Uh, <laughs> but you know okay. what? Most people don't don't know what I do, and I don't really care because I love what I do. But this has been okay. fun. It's Seriously? super fun. This is Thank super you for fun. having me. And when are you going to have the next one out so I could, you know, just sort of pencil something in? Uh, well, I'm, getting, I'm, I'm, always, I'm always aiming to have it to coincide with Chautauqua's nine-week season, which means that it's something like June 27th or July 1, something like that. Um, but, yeah, I'm always racing to finish. <laughs> it's a struggle to do the one a year, but that's my aim. So, well, Fran, it's always a, a total pleasure talking to you and following the reviews you of my friends or people I'd like to be friends with. Some of the, yeah, so you recommend the job. Well, we'll see them. what we could do after today. But if those of okay. you that are looking for my next nightmare coming out, I have okay. somebody into somebody editing it. She's absolutely great. Um, I got her from Marsha Cook, and her name is Melissa, and she's doing wow. a great job. And I'm gonna. She's threatening me with the book on Friday <laughs> to look at it. Okay. It's called Mirror Image. If you do you look image. at your face in the mirror, and you see something that supposedly be you, it's what you're gonna yeah. look like if you don't repent for the terrible things that you did to someone. And what happens when you did to someone 
is going to be done to you. And if you don't say you're sorry, you're going to wind up as the face in the mirror. Wow. Okay. I know. I know. That's that's sick. Repent. Yes. Every Uh, story has a moral at the end, and every story explains why the person belongs where they are. And it's called, you know, yeah. And on the last one, it's accusations of people that were wrongly accused. And so okay. Story. So this yes. is fun. Thank you so okay. much. Um, everybody, it's a beautiful day outside. It's only 100 degrees, seriously. Okay. Um, yeah, everybody have a great day. Thanks, Deb, and bye. Okay, thank you, friend. Bye-bye.